ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's Monday, and that means it's time for another whole week wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Here's what's coming your way today. As everyone grapples with the potential implications of Russian President Vladimir Putin's BRICS attendance in August, we ask, whose BRICS is it anyways? Then a somber look at attacks on LGBTQI plus rights in both Uganda and parts of the United States. I think it's, it's, it's horrendous to people who, who are so insecure in themselves that they need to have all this power and all this authority. It's, a, it's, it's an affront to their sense of security and so they must decapitate us, throw us in jail, not see it because oh! And a small win in the state capture fight. But don't get too excited just yet. That and more, so get comfy and join us as we try and make sense of the headlines. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with me, your new host, Lizanne Janssen van Rensburg. And joining me today is Daily Maverick's Heather Robertson. Heather, how are you doing this week? I'm great, thanks. Lovely. I'm going to just jump straight into our stories. And our first one, which I think a lot of people are talking about, is obviously Russia and BRICS. And it has a lot of people on edge. I mean, BRICS and Putin's possible visit. And now, last week, government granted diplomatic immunity to all BRICS attendees, and it's been met with harsh criticism. And then days later, government suddenly backtracked on its announcement, saying individuals who have an arrest warrant against them won't be covered by the Diplomatic Immunity and Privileges Act. So, I mean, what's actually going on here? I'm not by no means an expert. I'm just like you. I'm a journalist and Mm. read And I think that we need to calm down and think about what's actually going on. There is the war in Ukraine, and that Putin and Russia are the aggressor in that war. Well, I disagree with our government's position of not condemning the invasion, but I think we need to think carefully about what BRICS is what's happening in the in geopolitics at the moment. So BRICS is, is the second tier economies of the world, okay? And most of them mm. are, are all in the global south. China, Russia, India, Brazil, and now lately us. This meeting is probably not so much about Vladimir Putin's impending arrest if he lands in South Africa, but it's actually more about more countries from the developing part of the world and largely from the global south, as mm. in the world that is not the USA, Canada and, and Europe, and mm. the rest of us. I think it's more about who do they, what are the conditions for allowing other people entry into BRICS? Who will they allow in? What does this block mean? What's actual benefit? The jury is out on, for me, on what the benefit of BRICS is to us, because I was like doing some research just before this chat, and I looked at the 10th BRICS summit. And if you compare, so it's about trade, right? Mm. 42% of the world's population live in the current BRICS countries. So that's that's interesting. So it's interesting that they want to form a block, but only 18% of the world's trade. So it's about opening up trade markets. But our problem as South Africa is that we don't manufacture enough. We're mm. importing, I mean, if you look at us, uh, our relationship with India and China, for example, we are importing from India, this is from 2016, petroleum products, related materials, road vehicles, medis- mm. medicinal and pharmaceutical products, cereals and cereal preparations, organic. The only thing that we're exporting is 
the thing that we should be stopping producing coal all, all the way down the line. We, we basically export raw, raw products. And then to Russia, interestingly enough, particularly from our Western Cape, vegetables and fruit. So we need to think about like, what is this actually all about? But there is global tension. And the other thing that I'm intrigued by in what's happening in geopolitics is there's a really interesting article by Jeffrey Sachs, which we have published on the Daily Maverick, talking about the United States military industrial complex. That intrigues me because he's arguing is that, like, that the United States puts itself more in debt by spending so much on its own. Mm. So we look at a number of wars throughout history. I mean, like, I mean, I remember as a kid being fascinated by the hippie movement. That was anti-the war in Vietnam. There are always massive wars that the U.S. is engaged in. Now, as I'm saying, in the instance of Ukraine, I'm not saying that Russia is not the aggressor. But what I am saying is that it's interesting that this academic argues that, you know, that, that why is America spending so much on war and military material rather than on, on diplomacy. President France is saying, like, let's engage in negotiations to actually end this war in Ukraine. And China is also saying, let's let's try and negotiate it into this war. So I'm no expert, but like just reading between all these lines, it's like, who is benefiting from this war? Putin is because he's on a mission to rebuild the Russian empire. I mean, but why are we moving towards negotiations? Why aren't we moving towards, I mean, like, it's a horrible, so many children, women, young people slaughtered, literally slaughtered. War makes no sense to me as a human being, as a humanitarian. Mm. Who the hell is benefiting from this? The American arms industry is definitely benefiting a lot from this war. So like, go back to us. I mean, we really, I mean, we can call us close to a failed state. I mean, uh, the leadership showed by the ANC has been disastrous. But in this instance, in terms of geopolitics, it seems that they are siding with the aggressor, which is Putin and Russia. But are they playing another game in terms of like this Ramaphosa trip to actually work with those people in the EU actually differing with the US, actually asking for a negotiated settlement to end mm. the war? I'm just putting it out there. Many of my colleagues will totally disagree with me. But <laughs> yeah, I'm questioning of it. I'm questioning of everything actually. The Ugandan government signed off on amendments to already strict legislation criminalizing homosexuality in the country. Activists and world leaders were quick to condemn the African nation, with the United States threatening sanctions and more. But can the US truly stand in solidarity with the rest of the world when it comes to equality for all? So our next story is also quite a heavy topic, but it's such an important one. So last week, Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni signed into law one of the world's strictest anti-homosexuality measures. And um, I mean, it's called the Anti-Homosexuality Act. They've kind of made amendments to already existing legislation that had been in place, imposing capital punishments for various things. There's a 20-year sentence for, as they say, promoting homosexuality and it also criminalizes like engaging in anything that they deem to be sort of homosexual behavior and there's also even talk of death sentences and a life sentence I mean it's just it's madness that we're moving back so far and I mean it's it's not just Uganda if you look at the states they have a similar thing I read an article the other day saying that nearly 240 anti-LGBTQI bills were filed just in 2020 
2022 alone in America. And and that's just, I was completely on my back when I read that. Thank God and thank all those progressive people, some of them not alive anymore, who wrote our constitution. I am, mm. I'm a gay woman. My partnership is recognized in our constitution and I've been allowed to adopt two beautiful children who are like intrinsic to my life. So even though there's such opposition saying that, that being gay is un-African, that the gay movement in South Africa, which, which, which worked with the anti-apartheid movement, I think this is a major, major, major victory for us. But I want to understand what is the benefit of calling on capital punishment, the death penalty, and like in, 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 the, in the Florida state, like banning you know any sort of talk about homosexuality. What is it about my gayness that is so offensive to Jujuwini Musveri or, or any gay, bisexual, transgender you get? What is it? Is it actually about patriarchy? Is it about, and I'm talking both in Uganda and, and in the States, if mm. we cling to a patriarchal notion that a man is a man and a man is in charge, the man is the head of the family and we amass all this money and we go off to work and we start our stuff, women must know their place. What homosexuality does is really throw that all out of the water because there are mm. men loving men, men being effeminate, been showing their feminine sides. Some of them are not effeminate. Some of them are just, you know, they they look like cis men and they behave like cis men, but they love other men. Mm. Can you see why that is offensive to a global patriarchy? And I think it's a struggle to reassert all of that. You pick literally the weakest thing or to see two women loving each other. So what does that do to your hierarchy, to your way of thinking, to your patriarchy? It basically says these two women don't want to be part of your governance, your rule, you're telling me what to do. I don't need you. But it's not to say that any form of, of sexuality is anti-male or anti-females. It's not that at all. It's just saying, it's like, what is it about one's sexual preference that is so intimidating to these lawmakers in the US and to all these African countries, of which Uganda seems to be the worst? I'm me. I'm not part of this. I don't play a role of the typical woman or a typical man. I'm fluid. I, I am me. And I think it's, it's, it's horrendous to people who, who are so insecure in themselves that they need to have all this power and all this authority. It's an affront to their sense of security. And so they must decapitate us, throw us in jail, not see it because, oh, it's actually in you know, having gay people around. It's actually showing us up, showing our hierarchy and our beliefs up to be like full of holes, actually. You know, the one side that I also find quite annoying, to, to put it very mildly, is that, you know, now after Uganda announced this new law, the U.S., jumps in and they're saying, oh, we're considering visa restrictions over Uganda and we're going to sanction them. And I'm like, but what are you doing in your own backyard? How can you actually add your voice to condemning Uganda when you're practically pushing for the same thing? You know, especially their conservative parties. I mean, surely you should sort out your own mess before you start judging others for the exact same mess. Absolutely. And that one Florida Florida government is actually standing up against Trump and he's one of the people pushing this. Look, I just want to add my voice as well to what you said earlier is I'm so grateful for our constitution and for the fact that we have those protections in place and that we also we don't have loud voices necessarily blaring things out on television against the LGBTQI community. I'm just so grateful that we are in a country where people can truly find a safe space and just live their lives freely um, for the most part. Easing us into our green shoots, we celebrate the United States Securities and Exchange Commission's decision to fine US-based consulting firm Gartner Incorporated for its role in state capture. 
This after American authorities found the company had, quote, a corrupt arrangement with the South African Revenue Service to acquire multi-million rand IT contracts. But when will South African authorities start taking action? This is sort of a, it's a bit of a green shoot in a way, because I mean, I'm going to take whatever wins we can get these days, and especially when it comes to state capture. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission recently fined the consultancy firm Gartner around 50 million rands for its role in state capture linked to SARS. While I accept this win, I feel a bit disappointed as well that foreign bodies tend to do more in terms of holding these companies accountable. And then you look at us and we're still busy working through the files and the testimony from the Zondo Commission. Like, I actually want them to kind of just get a move on now and just start joining in the party. Yeah, Absolutely. It's very interesting. Where the hell is Tom Moyani right now? Yes. This deal, I mean, the the, the reason that Gartner's been fined is because the U.S. is finding that they actually, there was a bribe. That buddy of Tom Moyani's was who got the contract, which turned to be totally useless and ineffective and didn't help SARS one little bit in terms of its IT systems. So that's what they found. But why is Tom Moyani still doing whatever he does, probably living a lovely little life somewhere and all these other people. The company gets fine, but the players in South Africa, why are they still around? So I do agree with you. We need we need to see them pay back the money or sit in their orange overalls and hang out in our prison system, but hopefully not burning bodies there like old Beston. Mm. Please don't don't take any notes from Tarbell Bester. Yeah, please. definitely please. not. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see some outcomes, um, even though it's not necessarily the kind of outcomes we want. It's good to see that things are still moving and that hopefully our government seeing the international bodies taking action against these companies they might feel like, hey, maybe we should do something as well, regardless of how small. But I really, really hope we start getting some vuma with the state yeah. capture issue. Absolutely. More than a decade ago, researchers made a breakthrough in potentially ending the global HIV-AIDS pandemic. They discovered a class of rare antibodies that could neutralize several HIV strains. Now, in 2023, several HIV vaccines are being developed across the world, and the results of an African-led study are expected towards the end of this year. Now, on to our next story, and I love, love, love this story. When I saw the headline on Daily Maverick last week, I was just immediately, I opened it. And it's this wonderful piece on the development of HIV vaccines. It's bringing a sense of hope when you read it, because globally, there are currently six HIV vaccines in research and development stages, which is just amazing. And this includes the US, Rwanda, Kenya, and South Africa. Remember the very beginning of the COVID pandemic mm. when, when President Ramaphosa sat next to it. Remember Prof Karim Abdul-Karim? Yes. And wife Karisha? I mean, I think we've got the most incredible medical re- researchers and all of them like revolved in AIDS research in case of any and now vaccine development, vaccine research. It's incredible. We really have a cohort of exceptional scientists and doctors and clinicians in South Africa. And particularly when they started this work and also, you know, campaign for antiretrovirals. Remember mm. the president at that stage, the ANC president was like so dismissive, you know, the whole thing, it's a syndrome, not a disease, blah, blah, blah. 
and then the treatment action campaign fought for antiretrovirals and fought for research into this disease that fouled so many people in our country. So like, I really like, oh, I mean, we have such amazing South Africans. We've come a long way. That gives me so much hope. Thank you so much, Heather. It was an absolute joy chatting to you. Pleasure. It's great chatting to you too. Awesome. Have a lovely week further. We'll do. You too. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.